there, and welcome back to the Clarity Podcast. This podcast is all about providing clarity, insight, and encouragement for life and mission. And my name is Aaron Santemeyer, and I'm going to be your host. Today, we have the uh, phenomenal opportunity to continue our discussion on the AGWM training competencies. And we'll sit down with Pat Hurst uh, again as he co-hosts this, this episode and with Randy Tarr. And Randy Tarr will be addressing or discussing this idea of the excluded middle in missiology and what that looks like, how that impacts life and ministry. Randy brings a a great insight and experience. Um, Randy was my first area director when we arrived in Burkina Faso, and um, he saw a young guy who uh, had a lot to learn. And uh, Randy was very patient with uh, with me and um, provided some great wisdom and insight and encouragement and put me in touch with, a, well, as we talk in the interview, with an African mentor, um, Benjamin Yanogo, and um, helped me um, learn and understand uh, some practicalities that we'll be t- discussing today. Things that I didn't uh, know and understand growing up in Wally Ford, West Virginia. But it's a valuable interview as we sit down with um, with Randy and Pat and learn about this excluded middle and discuss some questions on why is it hard for, for people that grow up in a United States culture to see the excluded middle? What does it look like from a Pentecostal perspective? Um, how can we be, learn and grow in this area? And um, great stories, practical advice. And um, I know you're not going to want to miss it. So there's no time better than now to get started. So here we go. Greetings and welcome back to the Clarity Podcast. So excited to be here for another episode as we unpack the competencies, the AGWM um, training competencies. And so excited to be back with Pat Hurst and uh, Randy Tarbs. Pat, I'm going to turn it over to you. Hey, Aaron, it's great to be back again. I've really been enjoying uh, this podcast series and uh, I'm excited to be able to have Randy Tarr with us today. Uh, Randy and uh, his wife, Becky, have uh, served in Africa for a good number of years as uh, president of West Africa Advanced School of Theology and then uh, area directors in West Africa. Uh, I had the privilege of working alongside Randy at at school in Lome and I I came there at a time whenever I just finished my first term. I was pretty well uh, beaten up and uh, Randy, I learned a lot uh, from Randy uh, and his father, his family, uh, about African culture. And they restored my confidence uh, in people once again. And so I'll always be uh, eternally grateful uh, to Randy and to his father and the role that they played in my life and really probably saving my missionary career, uh, to be honest. So uh, really excited to just to have Randy share with us today about a concept uh, that I think missionaries bump up against quite often uh, in their missionary career, and they don't quite know what it is. And I think as Randy shares about this concept of the the excluded middle, I think it's going to help a lot of missionaries uh, to tie their experiences to some of this, uh, to, to what Randy's going to unpack for us today. Uh, and so just as we have done with uh, most of the competencies, I just want to reiterate that our competencies are tied to our values. And so, again, when we talk about uh, 
ministry a new context or you know academically it's called contextualization but uh, practically it's it's ministry in new context and so uh, this particular competency is tied to several different values that we hold as AGWM but I think that probably the most important would be we are committed to an understanding of culture and worldview of the people that we that we are called to work with and then secondly we are committed to the principles of the indigenous church and in partnership and so when we talk about cross-cultural ministry, we're, uh, we're talking about, um, we're, we're not, well, actually, we're not talking about exporting our own version or our own template of, of Western Christianity or faith upon and imposing upon the African context. Uh, but we recognize with our indigenous church principles, as we've heard Steve talk about and, and John talk about, solid missionary strategy grows from a good theology of mission and is based upon our understanding of culture and worldview so that the gospel addresses core issues and not simply um, surface behaviors. And this is what Tammy was touching upon in, in the competency of understanding culture and the part where she's talking about um, fear and power in the worldview. And, uh, and so I want to just um, introduce uh, Randy to us and have him uh, just talk with us about this concept of the excluded middle and the role that that plays in the African worldview. So in that way, we as missionaries can uh, be appropriate in our communication and our methods or our ministry and that we uh rather than imposing our american template ministry the way we're doing but we can create and interact uh with our african friends and present the gospel in a way uh that touches their felt needs and is something that is appealing and and, and winsome uh to them so randy it's uh great to have you with us um, welcome. I, I think you're in Lome uh, today and back on our old stomping grounds. So we're glad to have you here. Uh, maybe you could just begin and just help us to understand what is this concept uh, in missiology that we call the excluded middle? Well, first, let me say thanks to you, Pat and Aaron, for having me on this podcast. And uh, Becky and I had the privilege of working with the Hearst here at uh, the West Africa Advanced School of Theology for six or seven years. Pat was a great sounding board for me, kept me out of trouble. Did uh, running down to the general superintendent so we could get in trouble together a few times, but uh, good stuff. The, uh, I've heard you use this proverb in the past, Pat, but I think it's true when we're talking about the excluded middle. And it's this proverb from Africa that says, the stranger comes with eyes wide open, but sees nothing. And that's so true and can happen to us as Western missionaries when we come into the African context, whether we like it or not. We come with head knowledge, but we don't always come with the spiritual eyes that Africans live with every day. So a simple definition of the excluded middle, actually, I pulled this from Wikipedia, which is not my favorite source by any means. However, the reason I pulled it from Wikipedia is because they're quoting Hebert. And so a lot of what I'm talking about, the excluded middle, is really Paul Hebert's idea that he develops and you see it well in one of his books entitled uh, Anthropological Insights for Missionaries. 
but he also has a short article entitled The Flaw of the Excluded Middle. So if somebody wants to do some more reading on it, I would ask them to go look at that. But here's basically the excluded middle, that as Westerners, we see the universe as consisting of two tiers, the invisible things of the other world and the visible things of this world. And in doing that, we exclude the part in between, namely the invisible things of this world, and in particular, the unseen personal beings such as Africans see and believe in every day, the intervention of angels, of demons, of little people, of mamiwata, I can explain that later, of all sorts of things that impact their daily lives that we would write off, be tempted to write off as fantasy is not real, but I bet you the majority of Africans see influence of that stuff on their life every day, whether we do or not. And so that's what Hebert's talking about is that excluded middle is that we must be careful that we don't miss that part of an African worldview as we bring the gospel of Jesus Christ into their context. So that's that excluded middle that we often miss. So I hope that gives a kind of a basic definition of uh, we, we've bifurcated the world into this is heavenly, these things happen in the heavenlies, and now we're into naturalism, that which happens here on the earth. And because of our Western education framework, we think, we tend to think, that's a strong word we think, but we tend to think that everything has a natural cause. And Africans don't see the world that way. That's good. Randy, you know, I was born and raised in Wally Ford, West Virginia, and uh, grew up in the good old USA. Uh, and so what what makes it hard um, for those of us who have grown up in the U.S. Um, that have not been exposed to the understanding the, of this this middle that you're sharing about? Um, how, why is it hard for us to see it? Well, I think part of the reason would be that we have grown up in a world of education that says science can prove everything. So if you run a theory and it is provable, then it's true. And because when you talk about the excluded middle, you can't really prove it. I mean, you can't, it's experiential, it's existential for the people who are experiencing it, but you can't run it on a, on a theory again and again and get the same result. So because that's the worldview we've been trained in, we think that if you can't prove it, it can't be true. And so I think that's what makes it hard for us as Americans to accept this reality that our African friends live in. So there's no randomized controlled uh, trials for this excluded middle is what you're sharing. Uh, not at all. Not at all. <laughs> I mean, for example, here, here's, here's case in point where I helped a witch doctor without knowing it. So a couple of years ago, we were in Dakar and I get a knock on the gate and I go to the gate and it's my friend, the neighbor, Mr. Jello. So I'm talking to him in Wolof and he says, hey, I brought a friend along with me. 
and we want to get up in your tree and we want to take some branches. Well, now we have one tree in our yard that's a daharu, which is a, a tamarind tree that they like to cut the branches off of and then they whittle them down and they use them as toothbrushes all over West Africa, but especially in Senegal. And so I'm thinking he wants to come in and get some branches off of his tree. Well, so the guy who's coming in, his eyes are weird, the friend of Mr. Jallo, and I'm thinking, there's something going on here, but I'm not really sure. And then he brings a younger guy, and instead of sending them up the tree I expected them to, he sent him up the tree that has the hawk's nest in it. Now, we've had a hawk in that tree for about 10, 12 years, and I like the hawk because the hawk keeps the bat population down in my yard. And uh, he sends his kid up there, and he starts collecting hawk feathers. Well, all of a sudden, the lights are going off in my head. I'm going, no, this guy is not collecting branches. He's collecting hawk feathers to use in juju, in, in power, to create power things for people to protect them from other things. I'm saying, I'm participating in witchcraft here. How do I get out of this? So I started talking to him and I said, hey, I said, God doesn't like what you're doing. And he said, no, God does like what I'm doing. And so they did their thing, got their stuff, they left. And as I was reflecting on it, from my worldview, there's no way God likes what they were doing. But from their worldview, all they were doing was manipulating that excluded middle. They were manipulating the world that you and I can't see with our natural eyes, but in the spiritual, they were trying to control things. And so there I was helping a witch doctor and didn't even want to. So I hope that, that, that helps us grasp this, why we can't see it very well from the West. That's good. And That's that you good. asked about. And biblically, Randy, where do you turn to biblically if somebody's saying, well, Randy, these are really good ideas, but where are you going to biblically to help provide insight into this? Well, I, I think my first response is Jesus's response to John the Baptist's disciples who came and they're questioning him. When John the Baptist comes, he sends his disciples to Jesus and we see that story in John chapter 7, in Luke chapter 7, rather. They say, are you the one who is to come, or should we expect somebody else? And then the text goes on to say, at that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses, and evil spirits, and gave sight to many who were blind. So he replied to those disciples that John had sent, Go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. So Jesus' response to John's disciples isn't a logical four-point, believe this, 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 and this. He shows them power encounter because that could relate to their world to show them that Jesus now has power over all of these things. He has power over sickness. He has power over the demonic. He has power to raise people from the dead. 
And so Jesus's response to them wasn't a logical, okay, well, yeah, I'm the Messiah, uh, believe it. No, he shows them that he has power over the excluded middle. And then he says, believe because of what I've done, believe because of the miracles. So really as Pentecostals, this shouldn't be a hard thing for us to grasp because we already believe in the miraculous. But we have to take off our lens of Western lens, which says everything is logical. Everything fits into a theory, into a box. And we have to allow the spirit to help us see with spiritual eyes into the African reality. And is there any text in the, the Old Testament, Randy, that you would turn to? Or do you mainly look at the New Testament when it comes to this? this? Well, I think there are. Old Testament texts that uh, help us. And uh, I think maybe starting with the plagues in Egypt. And uh, there we see that at the beginning of those plagues, the Egyptian magicians are able to replicate some of the stuff that happens. So when Moses throws his rod down and it becomes a snake. The magicians do the same. However, even in that small context, Moses's snake, which is the rod of God, is more powerful because he eats their snakes. So we already in that, in that sense, we see that Yahweh is saying that my authority is greater than the ability of these magicians to manipulate reality. And that's what the excluded middle really is about, is manipulating reality. So, and then, I mean, as you continue on through the plagues, you see that all of a sudden the Egyptian magicians no longer can replicate what God Almighty can do in that unseen space. And that's true today too. Whether that's a witch doctor here in Africa, I mean, I've heard stories of witch doctors cutting off a chicken's head and raising it back to life. Uh, so there is real power there. There is limited power there, however. And Jesus Christ comes with unlimited power. I think, go ahead. No, go ahead, Randy. Sorry. No, no, no. Please ask. No, no, no. No, I was just—I was just going to share. You know, I, doing medical work in Af- in Madagascar. You know, the first time I, one of the first times I went to the bush, um, we were interviewing patients, and we're taught with this scientific mind: you start broad, you ask lots of questions, and you come down and you narrow it down. So you, it's this this system that they teach you to find a diagnosis. Well, as the patients were sitting there, you know, the people were coming in, they're shaking their head, shaking their head because. And I asked a Malagasy doctor, Fees, I said, what's the problem? He said, well, the witch doctor gets it right in three questions. He only has to ask three questions. And you have to ask all these questions so they know you don't have any idea what you're doing. And um, because the witch doctor, he, he, he accesses this middle world that you're talking about. It tells them what the problem of it is. And then they don't need this scientific method that you're going down. And it, honestly, I'm thinking, no, 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 but I'm right. That's what I've been trained in school. This is the way it goes. They didn't care. And it didn't matter. And until I got to the point to say, I'm going to ask three questions, it didn't matter because they didn't believe anything I had to say. So anyway, that's a different 
path. But I think it does align to this idea of when you come into a situation with a scientific mind that it's proven this is the process that you go through. And when you're working, engaging and sharing the love of Christ with people that that's not necessarily the way they see the world, there can be some dissonance and maybe sometimes some friction. So Pat, over to you. Uh, so Randy, you mentioned a little bit earlier, uh, this concept of, uh, mammy water and man, all up and down central West Africa, some of the most demonic places seem to always be associated with the island nations or these cities along the, the coast or, or, or I think of in Congo, Kisangani, right out there in the middle of the rainforest, but right on the Congo river. And yet it's a demonic stronghold. Um, so talk to us a little bit about uh, Mammy Water and what are some of the questions that um, the Africans who are highly influenced by this concept of the excluded middle, what, what is it that they're dealing with? Well, I mean, I think they're dealing with fear and they're dealing with demonic power. So that idea that Mammy Water, which is kind of a mermaid of the water, if you please, is from what the explanation I get from asking my African friends about it. But there is power related to water, whether that's ocean water, whether that's river water. And they believe that they, at, 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 they arrive at the river or at the ocean at the wrong time, they can be taken away by Mamiwata or the spirit of Mamiwata can possess them. That's the fear and the reality that they live in. Uh, I remember talking with a, a friend missionary who told me the story about his first convert in a backwater place on the river in Senegal. And what turned the tables for this guy that he had been witnessing to for a long time was one early evening, he went down to the river and in his words, not our words, he was grabbed by Mamiwata and drug into the river and he fought and he fought and he wasn't being released. And finally, he said, help me, Jesus, even though he wasn't a believer yet. And there was a release and he was able to get back out of the water. The next morning, he came to that missionary and he said, I'm ready to follow Jesus Christ. Because even though he may wasn't a believer yet, floating in that river, being drugged under, he understood all of a sudden that Jesus, there's power in the name of Jesus, and Jesus has more power than Mamiwata, and I want to serve Jesus. So I hope that kind of illustrates that point, but that fear is all up and down the coast mm -hmm. and people are inculcated with that fear. It's not fear of the water. It's fear of the spirits in the water. And when you and I look and walk down to the ocean to enjoy the waves or whatever, we are not thinking of Mami Wata, but I'm telling you, they are thinking of Mami Wata. So I hope that kind of encapsulates it a bit. So Randy is Pentecostals, I'll be honest with you, when I arrived in Waga, you were there, you helped me, and Brad Tucker was there and uh, helped me introduce and and learn. But honestly, I'll be, as a new missionary, this 
it honestly provoked fear in me. Just this idea that this was a world that I never considered, never even took into consideration. And I said, I'm a Pentecostal and uh, I speak in tongues and uh, this is who I am. But now I'm faced with something that I have never really been faced with. As Pentecostals, how do we handle this? And, and should we be afraid to come in and offer solutions in these type of situations? Or what wisdom and advice would you give um, for all of us? Well, I don't think we need to be afraid because greater is he that's in us than he that is in the world. Jesus, at the moment of his crucifixion, says, now the prince of this world is driven out. Now the prince of this world is defeated, speaking of the devil. And we know that Jesus, by his victory on the cross, disarmed all the powers and principalities. That's a truth. Now we have to believe it enough to act upon it. So we shouldn't have fear, but we should have asked the Holy Spirit to give us discernment. And I, I wish I could say I always had clear discernment. I mean, I pray for discernment. But here's a, a story just to illustrate. And I honestly have not been used in casting out a lot of demons in the 35 years uh, we've worked in Africa. It's probably happened three or four times where I've had an encounter where in the name of Jesus, with an African pastor, we cast out demons. So it's not, I'm not one of these guys that's always running after demons. But uh, it happened in our, in our second term in Senegal. I was in my office where it was just a, it, was, it must have been a weekend. There was just a small group of students on campus. And one of our former students, Samba Ba, uh, a Fulani, came running into my office and he said, come, come, come. He said, uh, my sister is manifesting and I need your help. So I gathered some of the students. We walked down. It was probably a kilometer or a kilometer and a half down to his house, his family house. And sure enough, we walked into the room and his sister was manifesting. She was just writhing on the bed. There was saliva coming out. It was... It was obviously demonic activity. So I did what I thought I should do. I began to just cast it out in the name of Jesus. And I said, okay, guys, we're going to pray. We're going to cast it out in the name of Jesus. I said, come out in the name of Jesus. I was talking in Wolof or in French. I don't remember exactly. And nothing was happening. However, Jesus is faithful in those moments. And he dropped a word of discernment into my mind. And I felt like the spirit said to me, stop and just begin to sing praises to Jesus. So I stopped the group and they were just going at it. You know, they were praying and they were fearful. We were all fearful. Come on. When you count demonic, the hair can stand up on your head, even for the three of us. And we don't have much hair, but you know, so <laughs> there we were. And the spirit said, Stop and sing praises to Jesus. So I did. I stopped the group and I said, let's just start to sing. And we started to sing and exalt the name of Jesus. And in that moment, within a minute and a half, she was delivered. And uh, we began to rejoice together and began to pray over her. Now, 
for Christ to come into her life, you know, but so it changed the dynamic. And I pray for that type of discernment for us as Pentecostals, that when we walk into a situation, our eyes are wide open, but that the spirit shows us exactly the response that is needed to respond to the felt need of the people that we're encountering with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because sometimes I think we answer questions they're not asking. But John, 1 John tells us that the Son of God, the Son of Man, has appeared to defeat the works of the devil. Mm. And Africa lives in that realm of fear, in that realm of the demonic powers have power over me, but Jesus has more power and he's come to set them free. And we as Pentecostals who believe in casting out demons in the name of Jesus, in praying for people that are possessed or are sick to be healed, we've got to flow in that and not be caught up in, that doesn't make logical sense. The spirit needs to help us to see outside of our box so that we can be used by him in powerful ways to deliver Africans who are stuck in the excluded middle. Mm. Uh, this, this is really good, Randy. And uh, this whole idea of, of walking uh, in discernment. And I can remember uh, one time uh, in Togo when uh, an American was out visiting from a church and, you know, and he just looked at me and he said, Pat, come on, really, you believe this stuff? And I just felt prompted to respond to him and say, I don't think it's really that important as to whether I believe it or not. Uh, but our, but the Africans do, this is the reality in which they live and they're, and they're held in this fear. And so I can remember, Randy, one time you and I sitting and another West African missionary telling us a story about a broken toilet. And it seemed like a rather innocent story. And yet someone who it was attuned uh, to what was actually happening in the situation uh, would have picked up a little bit more that there was actually more going on than, than just a broken overflowing, uh, runny, leaky toilet. Um, tell that story a little bit as just kind of an illustration of, of, of probing and seeking and trying to understand what's actually happening behind the scenes. Sure. Well, yeah, it's not my story, but it was told to us by a colleague missionary and uh, he had a missionary associate out and for some reason, the missionary was away someplace else. And he got a call from one of his local pastors up about an hour and a half from the capital where they lived. And he said, uh, Pastor, I've got a problem with my toilet. So he called his missionary associate and said, hey, would you go up there and take care of the situation? So he drives up there. And sure enough, the toilet isn't functioning right. So he thinks it's a plumbing problem. But then he says to this pastor, tell me what's going on. And the pastor says, well, there's a cobra that keeps coming up in the toilet. And uh, the missionary associate still thinks that it's a plumbing problem. And he said, well, what have you done about it? He said, well, we've 
we've run hot water down in the toilet and flushed it to try to get this cobra to stop coming up. And uh, he's, he's looking for a plumbing solution. So he, he fixes the toilet the best that he can and he drives back to the Capitol. But what the pastor really needed from him was a spiritual prayer covering at that moment to break the power of whoever was sending this serpent on a regular basis up their toilet to freak them out. It really wasn't a plumbing problem. It was a spiritual encounter problem. And the pastor needed somebody to pray in the name of Jesus and cast out the spirit of that serpent and drive that serpent away so they wouldn't keep coming up the toilet and bothering them. And that we miss often because we just, it's just not in our worldview to see it. I, I hope that kind of explains that, but that's where we come with eyes wide open. We, we don't see anything. For sure. And I'll be honest with you. It still makes me nervous. I, I, I know I'm a Pentecostal, but it's, it's cause you, you just, and I think it's the, the instability it creates because you think you understood the world. You, you thought you understood how things work. And then when I arrived, I realized, man, I don't really understand uh, a whole lot. And uh, what I thought the way things were, weren't exactly as they appeared. And it was, uh, it, it, it's destabilizing. You know, here they turn the bones, they go in, they take all the ancestors bones out of the tombs and they go through this whole ritual of, you know, they're, it's, it's, it's very demonic in nature and um, to watch it and people, you know, some people like to go and watch and, and take picture and, you know, be around it. Not me. I, it's, I don't understand it, but people said, would well, you think it's real? Well, there's no doubt that it's real. I mean, it's, you, you don't have to, and you can sense it. You can feel it. Do I understand it? I don't understand it, but there's no, no question that it's, that it's, uh, it's not real. Um, so, and when it comes back to worldview, Randy, where do you look at, is there any examples of different worldviews kind of coming into contact or in the Bible? Oh, wow. Well, I suppose that uh, there are, well, I think if we, if we take uh, one text, for example, where Paul in Ephesians chapter 6 tells us these things that should help us with this worldview. So it's a text we all know, but I don't know that we always apply it to this reality, but I think it can be applied to this reality of the excluded middle. So he says this, finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. He's got the excluded middle in there, in my opinion, because he, he, he was living in a pagan world, in the Gentile world, is a pagan world, and they're into manipulating the spirits to control their reality. It wasn't a Western bifurcated epicurean or a platonic world that was divided in those two things everything's together in a holistic package therefore put on the full armor of god so that when the day of evil comes you may be able to stand your guard and after you have done everything to stand 
stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. So there is room for us to take objective truth and apply it into that spiritual realm. With the breastplate of righteousness in place and your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. And I think that last verse, verse 18, really should be key for us as Pentecostals. And pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. Believing that God, through the Holy Spirit, will give us the insight necessary at the moment that we need it so that we can exercise effective ministry into the excluded middle and see people delivered from fear into assurance that Jesus Christ is in them and he is more powerful than anything that they'll face in this world. Good stuff. Good stuff. Pat, over to you. Uh, yeah, this is great. And I think a lot of missionaries are going to, uh, this is going to help bring some, uh, tie some of the pieces together and things that they're bumping up against and, and quite can't quite put uh, a label on it. And this will help them. So Randy, if, uh, what advice would you give to, first of all, let's start with just a first term missionary uh, who's coming out. Uh, what, what advice would you give them to help get prepared? And then maybe for the missionary who's, you know, third, fourth term, um, what could they be doing as well to, uh, to be able to engage uh, in, and engage with confidence and the confidence of the Lord that you just shared from out of Ephesians 6? But what advice would you, would you give to missionaries? Well, to first-term missionaries, I would say find an African pastor who's deeply spiritual, that can help give you some insight into their reality. So ask them uh, questions that would, they'll open up and begin to speak about things. I remember one older pastor who was the former assistant superintendent in Burkina telling me, if you grow up in animism, it's hard to trust. And you always have a sense of fear, no longer how long you've been in the faith. Well, that's hard. that was hard for me to grasp because I didn't grow up in animism. Even though I grew up with animism all around me here in Africa, I still didn't grow up. There was no fear factor in my home. I believe that Jesus Christ was living in me and he that is in me is greater than in the world. So, it, the, but finding somebody that's deeply spiritual that can help you understand them would be huge in that first term. And then for those who are beyond their first term, I would say, let's practice what we preach. <laughs> really be Pentecostal. Because some of the great breakthroughs we've seen in Africa have been encounters where there have been Pentecostals who have been able to get a breakthrough because they believe in that spiritual dynamic of, of the Holy Spirit showing up to break through the powers the evil powers that hold people down. So there I would say, let's fast a little bit more. Let's wait on the Lord a little bit more for spiritual discernment. 
Let's get with our African brothers and fast and pray because they're flowing in it and we need to learn how to flow in that as well. Uh, so that's kind of the advice I think I would give. And that's advice to me too. And I'm on term number seven. You know, I need to hear these words too of Randy, stop. Stop answering email for a bit. Sorry, all of you were waiting for a response from me. And uh, wait on the Lord a little bit more and get the spiritual discernment I need for the hour. I remember sitting in an apologetics class in Senegal. I was teaching a WAST extension class. And uh, it was day three. And we were in early Western textbook. We were going through all of those things that you need to defend the faith. And one of my students said, uh, Randy, he said, the problem is, is the questions you're answering are not the questions that our Muslim friends are asking. So how can we turn this apologetics class into something that will respond to the need that's real to us? Wow, that just hit me like a ton of bricks. And I went home and I wept that night and said, I'm not sure that I'm capable of turning this course to what they need, but what they needed with spiritual power to defeat the works of the enemy. So I hope that, I hope that helps. No, it does. And it's, it's great wisdom. And um, Randy, you had, as Pat had shared, your dad um, was instrumental in getting me through my first term in uh, Ouagadougou as, as he shared uh, about Pat, uh, shared about um, Dell helping him. Um, but then also I remember in Burkina, you know, very well, I, I struggled with malaria and you had put me in contact with my um, uh, uh, African mentor, Benjamin Yanogo. And um, I remember one time Benjamin came over and um, I was going around the house killing all the mosquitoes. And, um, you know, I just was, I was, and is, even at Isabel at a young age, she was only 14, 15 months old. She'd go around and clap, you know, because that's what she saw us doing was going around killing all these mosquitoes. I'm, again, I'm for killing mosquitoes. I'm, I'm not saying we need to let them live. But Benjamin, he said, he, he kind of smiled and shook his head. And he said, you know, there's a little more to this, you being sick than this killing the mosquitoes. And I said, well, what do you mean? He said, well, there's a big spiritual component to this. I think that even if you kill all the mosquitoes in your house, they're still, it's still going to be there. But it was something that, that I had not considered because I was rationalized. If I killed all the mosquitoes in my house, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be sick anymore. But he helped me as someone that, that loved God, was serving Jesus to see that, that there was something else going on that I hadn't even considered. You know, what I mean, because in my mind as a doctor, if I just killed all the mosquitoes, didn't get bit, bit everything will be perfect. But having someone that you can trust, that, that, that you can sit and learn and listen from and take what you're sharing, a posture of a learner. And I think sometimes when we come to the field, we think we're coming with something to give and we're going to, we're the, but coming with that posture of learning, realizing we have. I have a lot of things to learn in a place that um, is very different than um, where I came from. It was valuable insight and uh, great, great to learn from him. Randy, do you have any parting words for us as before we get, go to a time of prayer, anything else, words of encouragement? Yeah, just don't be fearful. The Holy Spirit is in us. He's working in us and he wants to bring people to Jesus Christ so they can have life and life eternal. And God's brought all of you to the African continent with a purpose, and he wants to use you in powerful ways.
Mm. Amen. 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 Randy, will you pray for us? Sure will. Jesus, I thank you that you came to the earth to defeat the works of the evil one. And yes, indeed, you are victorious, Jesus. You are victorious. Your death on the cross, your resurrection, defeated the powers and the principalities. You disarmed them and made a public disgrace of them. And you reign on high. You were seated at the right hand of the Father, and you're interceding for every missionary in Africa today. You're interceding for me. You're interceding for Aaron. You're interceding for Pat. You're interceding for all of the people that we could name, that we love, that we serve with here on the African continent. So, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit presence would be very real in each and every one of their lives. Lord, I pray that the gift of discernment, discerning of spirits, would be very real in each of our lives. That when we walk up against situations where our logical mind looks at it and we say, wow, that's, I can't understand that. That at that moment, Holy Spirit, you would give us revelation of what's taking place so that we could be used by you to deliver people who are living in bondage. Lord, I pray health and strength. Lord, I pray for those who might be suffering today. If there is a spiritual cause behind it that we don't understand, reveal that to us and then deliver them in your powerful name, I pray, Jesus. Thank you for what you're doing here in Africa today. Thank you that we have the joy and the privilege of being a part of it. Bless your people in your powerful name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. 